welcome to Drinking and Talking with your host, Vincent Franconi. This is uh, Drinking and Talking uh, live at the moment, but not when you're listening to this, from Cooney's Bar in Rogers Park in the Edge of Edgewater. And uh, this week or whatever month, I guess, we're doing this about once a month, uh, I have with me Eric Bronick. Uh, say hello to the good people, Eric. Hello, everyone. Vince, it's great to be here. Uh, thank you so much. And uh, Eric's drinking a, what are you drinking? Wild Turkey 101 on the rocks. Uh, so he's starting off with the hard stuff. Uh, Jeffrey and I are drinking Anchor Steam, which we still want to make the official beer of drinking and, and talking. So uh, CEO of Anchor Steam, I will be talking to you very soon. And uh, did I tell you, I did make it to the Hop Leaf this month, the Hop Leaf Bar in Chicago, to get my discount uh, bottles of Anchor beers. Oh, were they discounted this month? Yeah, it was the beer of August. So today's nice. the last day you can go there and get like a $3 Anchor Porter, oh, which cool. is really really good I bet uh, I've never had one of those before so that and some steam muscles and that was quite an afternoon um, so Eric and I met at uh, a law firm who we probably shouldn't say their name or no the law firm shall not be named okay but, uh, yeah but we yeah, worked together back in 2000 and, uh, 2004 I was a law clerk there and then I, started, I worked there full time after I uh, passed the bar 2005. So Eric is indeed a lawyer, uh, which, you know, judge him for that as you will. But <laughs> Eric has a distinction of being like one of three lawyers I've met in my life uh, of working with them and so forth, who uh, I actually do like to talk to. So that's that, that's high acclaim right there. I am, I am very honored, <laughs> without a doubt. I won't tell you who the others are, because, you know, <laughs> you may not feel so honored anymore. <laughs> So do we want to talk about the law firm at all, or should we just ignore that whole thing? Well, you know, law is interesting, and I don't practice law a whole lot anymore. I just do some contract review here or there. I mostly do software now, which is what I did before. But, you know, I enjoyed being in law school, and I think having a knowledge of the law is, is good to have, because if you know about the law, whether through law school or whether through pre-law, you have a good sense of, you know, what the hell is going on in the world today. And when things happen, you can understand the, the legal repercussions. I didn't even consider that as being a practical thing. About law, like I just thought it was people did it and they went out and made a lot of money and that's why they did it. But well, some attorneys do and some attorneys don't. A lot of attorneys don't make a whole lot of money. People think that people think that law is uh, an area that you can make a lot of money in, and if you get those big white shoe law firm jobs, then you can make a lot of money in that. But a lot of times, if you're doing public service work or uh, just solo work, you might be making, um, I mean, just mid five figures. Really, which isn't bad, but it's like you know when you consider that the amount of loans that people can rack up in, in law school. Yeah. It can make a, for a very difficult time. I said that today. I have a class I started teaching. Um, it's a writing class, like not just 101, but like it's for people who want to write professionally in some capacity. And they all want to be professionals. They don't want to be writers, writers. But like, I'd say three-fourths of them want to be lawyers. And it kind of makes sense. Like I should study the art of like, you know, rhetorical theory and so forth to understand clear writing. But they're all like, I want to be a lawyer. And I was, so I said, you know, what kind of law do you want to practice? And almost all of them have these like beautiful social justice oriented ideas of immigration law. I'm going to work for the public defender. And I just look at them and just go, you're going to do that for like a, a, a couple of maybe a year tops. And then you are going to run to some corporate firm. Well, I think part of it is that uh, no, the thing is, is that those jobs don't pay that well. So yeah. it can be hard. And there's only there's only so many of them. 
Like True. one of the law professors said, like the I was speaking with the jobs that people want right out of law school are either the lowest paying or the highest paying. <laughs> Obviously, the highest paying you want because they're the highest paying. You're you're paying off your student loans uh, and things like that, pulling in you know mid to high mid mid six figures right away low to mid six figures and if the low paying jobs which are like either like public defender or maybe like a law clerk or yeah. you know working in uh, the DA's office or doing a uh, uh, public service kind of job whether it's like with ACLU or anything like that you're getting a lot of legal experience right away you're in the courtroom right away and you can usually after you've done your time at like uh, the attorney general's office then you can leverage that into like a partnership at a law firm so, right uh, but then you have the other jobs in the middle, which are just like working for mid-sized firms or things like that. And those are those are the jobs you take because you can get. And everybody needs to be able to get those jobs. And our firm was sort of like that, you think? Well, we were a class, it was a class action law firm, so it was all commission-based, not yeah, contingency. So it was, um, you know, the work was very interesting. Yeah. As far as with the particular cases. The people we worked with were very interesting, too. <laughs> but we won't name them because, you know, lawyers are litigious. But uh, I don't even think they're called what they were called anymore. I think they've switched names six times or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't necessarily matter. But we'll still avoid that whole horror's nest. So that was sort of our claim to fame. We met at a law firm, but uh, and Eric's the only literate lawyer I know too. Like most right. people don't read books after they graduate college. Mm-hmm. But we were actually before the start of the podcast talking about what we were reading lately too. So right, no, I, yeah, we that's when we were working at the law firm. That was what we bonded over. It was a similar reading interest. Like we both like you know, yeah, you know, yeah. And then uh, you turned me on to a lot of uh, South American law writers, yeah. uh, to which I'm eternally grateful. Uh, a couple years ago, I read The Obscene Bird of Night, oh. uh, which I cannot recommend enough. Yeah. That was a uh, uh, tour de force of surrealism and horror and uh, political commentary uh, that would you know, be a perfect companion for reading while you're watching a David Lynch movie. Yeah, it's very Lynchian, I think, mm-hmm. right now, and yeah. Buñuel and all those guys. Like, I could see the, the same like DNA in that guy. But yeah, that book was one of the few books that like I read. And, uh, I almost had, like had shivers reading it. It was so creepy and weird. Oh yeah, the uh, the ending the ending really stays with you as mm-hmm. being very creepy. Uh, it's also there are certain times where it's brutally brutally hilarious. Yeah, it's funny stuff. So a lot of that stuff is funnier than people think. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of that, like I'm not just South American lip, but like like Kafka and Beckett and all those guys who get a reputation for being these like dark rooting guys like this shit's funny if you really kind of look at it as comedy right oh it's very black humor yeah well that's my style of humor absolutely absolutely I was trying to convince somebody of that recently and they didn't really agree with me but you've read uh, The Metamorphosis the Kafka a long time ago yeah I mean it's like read it years ago but like Mm -hmm. I think it's supposed to be a comedy like a guy wakes up in the morning it's a short book guy wakes up in the morning and he's a cockroach Mm -hmm. so he's been changed into that and it's like I could see people reading it and saying it's very bleak and it's just like terrifying but I think it's funny because like the first thing that he that he freaks out about is like he thinks well what is my boss going to think I'm going to get fired because I'm a cockroach and I'm reading I'm just like dude you're a fucking cockroach who cares about your job you've got bigger things to worry about there could be more base elemental existential things about being a cockroach and not what other people would think about being a cockroach and is this going to affect my employment and my credit rating and all these things Uh but like I think like I remember reading that Kafka was like reading that story in a salon to people and was cracking up the whole time he couldn't get through his own story and like I think it's lost on people now because we always see it as like 
these are really big, heavy things. But to me, they're supposed to be funny. But mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I've seen Burn of Night is definitely dark, though. Like, yes. I don't know if it's all supposed to be a crack up. Ah, but I like it. Have you been watching the Twin Peaks, by the way? I have. Is it, it is fantastic. Really? Um, and it is, uh, it's wonderful to watch. Uh, it's thematically what they're doing week to week, I think, is really interesting, especially with having artists uh, play at the, uh, I don't know if you've watched any of it at all. I haven't seen any. I plan to catch up. I do. One of the interesting things they do is that uh, at the end of almost every episode, David Lynch has one of his favorite musicians being playing at the Roadhouse. Really? Yeah. So the Roadhouse uh, features very strongly in the whole series. And, you know, it's it's improbable the bands that he has play up there, like Nine Inch Nails plays there. What? Oh, yeah. Nine Inch Nails is on Twin Peaks. Yeah, Nine Inch Nails is on Twin Peaks. Eddie Vedder is on Twin Peaks using his original name. You don't realize it's him right away. But all of these, and a lot of uh, indie rock, atmospheric bands uh, yeah. play there. A lot of them that sound like like the newer version of Julie Cruz. Right. And all of his, yeah. his jazz music. And he does have, um, like one of his, I believe one of his sons is in one of the band, and they're playing a sort of like noisy, jazzy dirge. You know, it's fantastic stuff. I need to watch it for that. It is. I want him to have, like, Merce Bow on there or something. <laughs> like some Japanese noise artist. There is some noisy stuff. I think they do a very, very... Like, one of the last episodes, they did a very, very noisy version of uh, uh, some guitar track. I can't remember what it is, but it's heavily, heavily distorted. Really? So, he's... The sound, sound has always been very important to Lynch. Yeah. And it's very predominant throughout the entire um, uh, Twin Peaks series, the things that they're doing with that. Yeah. Especially in uh, episode eight, which is a tour de force of surrealism on modern TV, which you, you can compare it to Unchin and Delu yeah. or Lage d'Or by uh, Buñuel. Right. But it's on, it's on a Showtime show <laughs> uh, that uh, segues in from uh, David from uh, a Nine Inch Nails episode, a Nine Inch Nails song, to some of the the weirdest, most you know bizarre, surrealist imagery sort of thing that huh. you've really ever seen on TV before. I just got Showtime, so I can catch up. I can binge watch it. Oh, and, and it's definitely binge worthy. So. I like that. Uh, noise rock that's another thing I think we bonded over was if I introduced South American literature to you you definitely helped solidify my uh, interest and knowledge of the Swans yes being a band that like Uh, was sort of I don't know anybody else anywhere who likes the Swans um, Mm -hmm. at all like I realize whenever I've asked people like are you into the Swans they're just like "Eh, it's too dark for me it's too it's just too much it's just too much for a lot of people but you know too much is just enough sometimes Mm. I don't get it. I think it's. I think like every era of that band is so different, yeah. but all has the same kind of like right. terrifying quality to it. My wife actually won't let me play the Swans when she's home because one time she was taking a nap on the couch and I played Great Annihilator, <laughs> and uh, she's like, "Yeah, you can put some music on." And then she told me later it gave her nightmares. I could see that. It's just well, that effective. Well, you know, Great Annihilator has these uh, these lyrical gems like. There's a naked body buried in a vacant field. You know, what does a body feel? Things like that. It's, uh, it's music for the whole family. Yeah. So, Soundtracks of the Blind is maybe the best album I've ever oh, yeah. heard by them. Though, you are so, what is that? You are so dumb. Yeah. Tell you how dumb you are. You are fucked up. Uh huh. You're a whole... fucked up. You are fucked up. That's how fucked up you are. There's just this whole like 
cool percussive thing going on and then it turns into this like weird ambient music with a man with an incredibly southern voice talking about how talking to a tape recorder to somebody about how fucked up they are right Uh, it's beautiful I've seen Swans live five times that's the most I've ever seen them I saw them twice in their original uh, uh, incarnation down in Dallas when I was living there in the mid 90s so between wow. 95 and 98, I saw them at the Orbit Room. Uh, shout out to the Orbit Room in Deep Ellum, in Dallas, Texas. I'm not even sure if that's still there anymore. <laughs> they played there twice, uh, and uh, I saw them for The Great Annihilator, and then I saw them on their um, farewell tour for Soundtracks for the Blind. And I've got so a, you saw them with Jarbo? Yes, Jarbo was there. Okay. And then when they reunited, I've seen them three times here in Chicago at... Uh, uh, the Bottom Lounge for the first reunion tour and right. twice at uh, Talia Hall or no not, it was, I, I missed that show but oh, I saw okay. him twice at Lincoln Hall oh okay which oh, is wow. a great place to see him because yeah. I was upstairs watching him and the last time I played it was a Saturday night and it was a late show the opening band was uh, this Japanese uh, electronic violinist who was played for half an hour and there were three songs and they were just like <laughs> droney and noisy and everything that you would love and want oh, yeah. from a Japanese girl and uh, <laughs> then uh, the Swans came out and they played for like two and a half hours and it was just beating you over the head noise it was fantastic yeah and I remember reading an interview with uh uh, Michael Garrett, he was like talking about how he actually liked to keep the heat on at these events so that it would turn into like a sweat launch. And uh, I just thought that that was the most ridiculous thing at first, but I'm like, that's kind of awesome. Now I think about it, like, right. you just want the entire audience to be sweating and hallucinating and just like all the toxins leaving <laughs> their body as they absorb your music. Uh-huh. And it's this weird, like, quasi religious experience, but yeah. a nightmare religion. Right. I, um, uh, I gotta hand it to him. I think he's probably what, like sixty now. Yeah, Something he's like up that. there. And you know, he's got that energy to put these crazy shows on. You know, where he's, you know, everybody, he's just like screaming his head off and directing the rest of the band and all of their noise symphony. And I mean, he quit drinking. I read. Mm-hmm. He, uh, yeah, it's like a lot of these guys where they they're just wild men in their youth, and uh, they la- they somehow manage to get through that, and then they like come back. And it's always amazing to see because I just expect a guy like that to be like chewed up by all mm-hmm. the abuse he's done to himself on stage. Right. It's like Iggy Pop. Like, how is Iggy Pop still coming out and rolling around and, and you know beating himself up on stage? You know, just like kind of like the luck, luck of the metabolism, genetic draw. You know, just doing so enough just having, having that kind of energy to do that and survive that. Funny story. Um, I was trying to. Uh, I subscribed to Spotify, so I was like looking for some different kind of ambient background music to play. I'm a big fan of stereo lab stations. Like, well, you know, I haven't listened to Dead Can Dance in a long time. So I I turned on the Dead Can Dance uh, radio. I have to say, the Dead Can Dance Spotify station is fantastic, and you really need to listen to it. Really? Mostly because I remembered how great Dead Can Dance was. I don't think I've listened to him since the mid 90s. But obviously, you get a lot of. Bauhaus and um, like Fields of the Nefertiti and a lot of other goth music coming on, but they will also play some of the more melodic Swan songs, yeah, uh, especially off of uh, the the last few albums that he's put on. And there were some really absolutely like beautiful melodic Swan songs, like as as, oh, yeah. as like noisy and weird and just oppressively intense as that band could be. Like some of those songs are quite beautiful. Oh, absolutely. Uh, there's one song. Um, 
I can't remember the name of it, God, but I remember listening to it and thinking, this is like, this is legitimately beautiful music. I mean, you remember the album? Uh, it was not, it might have been Great Annihilator. There are some a track like, on there that's yeah. pretty beautiful. Uh huh, yeah. Uh, I wish I'd, I've got the track listing in my head and I'm trying to figure well, out. Well, the song I always think of when I hear that, think of that album is the Celebrity Lifestyle, which is like my favorite Swan song. Oh, yeah. It's definitely mm-hmm. not that because that's beautiful yeah. in a different way. Right. But it's something else like on the second side that's a little lighter. Yeah, there are some, uh, uh, and there's one sung by Jarboe and there's mm-hmm. very beautiful lamentation. Uh, my Buried Child Yeah, I think one of them and they're, they're very appropriately dark and gothy, but uh, they do... Yeah. Like it's interesting because you know they just kind of experimented with their own music and doing their own thing, which I love because early the noise like, is like it's like white light on the edge of infinity. That's a great. It's amazing. Yeah. They're just they're trying to figure out you know how to do some really heavy but m- melodical goth music. Yeah, and and the lyrics that they do are they they come up that Gira comes up with are fantastic. Like I'm so glad I'm better than you. Yeah, <laughs> I'm so glad I'm better than you are. I love that. Yeah. And. Uh, Failure is a uh, an epic dirge yeah. that will uh, make you don't ever listen listen to that while you're really depressed because it'll just uh, oh. drive a stake in your heart. I think I once was driving on uh, the Eisenhower and I was listening to um, soundtracks for the blind and stuck in traffic and you know really annoyed rush hour and so I put that on and I just remember listening to like the entire first album before I got to I think it was going to Oak Park Mm -hmm. and when I got there and I got out of the car I immediately said I'm sick like I felt my body (laughs) succumb to like cold germs that were flying around Uh I got in the car and I was fine and then it's like the stress of being in traffic and I felt like the swans music was telling my body succumb Uh just let it go just just let yourself Uh get ill because I remember and I even told my wife about it and she was like I told you that band is you shouldn't be listening to that shit but like the first time I listened to the Swans was like the late 80s early 90s and the album Cop was like really a kind of a big album because Henry Rollins had talked about how much he loved it and we were all kind of like so into Black Flag and Rollins that we were like okay and uh, the song Cop is just such a beautiful anti-cop song which is you know just listening to it is just it's such a heavy, heavy oh. song. Mm-hmm. And then they, they, they weren't always that heavy. So I just assumed the swans were going to be like this, like very, very sludgy kind of aggressive thing with like tribal drums. Mm-hmm. And it's like how they managed to maintain that same idea, but like across several different genres, really. It was kind oh, of amazing. It is. Yeah, it is. big shout out to that fact. The uh, yeah. Melvin, speaking of sludgy bands. Oh, I love that. Uh, I think uh, Stoner Witch, that you gave yeah. that to me. Yeah, I love that. And that's record. another classic album. I love that. Love that album. I do love them. They were on Sound Opinions this week, mm-hmm. uh, which I got really excited about. Oh, yeah. And it turned into this big, it's a great interview to listen to because it's turned into kind of by the end one big uh, let's talk about all the bullshit surrounding Kurt Cobain's legacy because we were like friends with him and we knew him and uh, just like trashing the entire like documentary that came out montage pack and all this it was kind of worth listening to because i got a lot of friends who aren't melvin's fans but they love nirvana i'm like well i think it's worth listening to just to get some insight into the whole seattle bullshit thing right so it's kind of fun to listen you should to check you search for do a do a youtube search for maybe you've seen this for uh melvin's and butthole surfers oh yeah because if you see them like when they were at humboldt park yeah they uh they, and, yeah they, they gave they, ice cream out yeah they're giving yeah. out ice cream and they were playing humboldt park they were playing a butthole surfers song off of uh it was off of locust abortion technique it was it was graveyard yeah, yeah graveyard right. and uh, uh they were playing 
it, and it was, they're filming it, and there are all these little local kids there listening to it, just getting corrupted by Buzzo. And there's an ice cream tr- tr- uh, truck in back, and after the song's over, Buzzo goes into the ice cream truck and starts throwing little ice cream cups at all the kids so they can have their ice cream. It's pretty, it's and a it great fantastic. clip. Yeah, yeah. Onion put that on. It was by the AV. Yeah, that's where I saw it. I was so mad. I'm like, if I knew they were here in Chicago, right. in a park, I live broad right, daylight, yeah. uh-huh. yeah, I would have I mean, driven over. And I live right there. So uh, but I remember seeing like all these kids at the end because uh, they had Jeff Pincus from the Buttle Surfers on bass then, and I love what they're doing now. Like they've lost so many bass players that they've decided like we never want to be in a position again where like somebody is uh, in our band and we have to keep them. So we are now having a, like you have a permanent drummer and a permanent singer guitar player, but it's like our bass player is revolving. Like currently, it's the dude from Red Cross whose name I can never remember. Do you remember his name, Jeff? Well, don't it's they like have George? Two, well, they have two drummers too, don't they? Not anymore. Oh, not anymore. Yeah. Well, did one of them die off? No, they I, just. I always thought that's that they kept, I always thought they kept two drummers just in case one of them died. No. And then at least they would have one drummer while they look for another one. Well, when they did when they had two drummers, it's because they needed a bass player. And they, there was this drum and bass band called Big Business. Okay. And they were kind of buddies with them. And, and uh, one of them was like, we should get the bass player for Big Business. And then they're like, fuck it. There's only two people in the band. Let's just get them both in the band. And they will just have two drummers. And they actually had a combined drum kit. And apparently, like, Dale from the Melvins is, is right-handed and the drummer from Big Business is left-handed. So when you watch the footage of them playing in the shared kit, it's like a mirror effect. <laughs> and they just absorb. They would have Big Business as the opening band. And then the two other Melvins would just come on stage and join them but they decided like every couple of tours we're just going to have a new bass player and that's just like we never we're just going to be like our friends a revolving bass player so they've had like all these different people subbing and filling in it's kind of a neat idea like more bands should do this idea of fuck this permanent roster why don't we just have whoever works but currently it's the guy from Red Cross and uh, they said they could have the double drummer thing again they may not it's just whatever they feel like doing so I really kind of admire that. Uh, after, apparently they've been together for 34 years, which I forget how long. They're like the Rolling Stones who are currently playing. Right, them. yeah. It's a, it's a serendipity there. Like, the Rolling Stones, if the Rolling Stones could really be the Rolling Stones in a way. Well, right now I don't know what the Rolling Stones are. They just sort of come out on stage and <laughs> probably have the teleprompter to remind them what the lyrics to Satisfaction are. Uh-huh. That's a good gig if you could get it. Oh, yeah. I mean, my dad's a big Rolling Stones fan. and He stopped going to the concerts, but he used to go to every time they came to Columbus where he lives. But then he realized, like, this is a fucking expensive ticket to go see these guys kind of, like, strut their 70-year-old asses around town. Right. So do I really need to be doing this nostalgia shit? It's exactly. You know, when you get that age, do I want to be paying towards their retirement fund or do I want to be paying towards my retirement fund? Yeah, exactly. So, and I'm, you know, we talked about this recently because we almost saw um, Free Salamander Exhibit. But like, yeah. we kind of like through Facebook messages came to the conclusion that we're of the age where a show has got to be on a weekend. At least yes. for me. Uh-huh. It's hard to go out on a Tuesday night and watch three opening bands and uh, finally the band you want to see and like you get home and it's three. Mm-hmm. Like, right. It's just harder to do that than ever. Jeffrey, Jeffrey's fetching us more drinks. Yes, we're on to round two. Uh, yeah, technically this is my round three, but I'm drinking beer and you're drinking whiskey, so it's only right that you're on round two. Yeah, I, I tried to do my best to keep up. No, no, I, uh, I think I need to switch to whiskey. Yeah. So, well, although we are on the anchor steams, I may end yeah. up uh, going around. Yeah, so. but it is nice to see that they do have Wild Turkey 101 on the rocks here. And Wild yeah. Turkey 101 is one of my favorite brands. They do have a nice little whiskey collection here. You know, it's not... We've got about... 
five or six different bourbons up there. I'm looking at there, Knot Creek. Yeah, you're the, you're my whiskey guy. I mean, I love to drink whiskey, but I like what I like, and I'm sort of like used to my my uh, you know my my stuff. But like Eric knows more about whiskey than like anyone I know probably too. So that's your other sort of claim to fame in my world is like yeah. like you're the one who told me to uh, you're the one who actually sort of because um, I always associate wild turkey as being kind of like ah stay away from that. But like the wild turkey rye that you used to pour, that's a very Mm-hmm. damn fine quality rye right and you were the first person to be like yeah you should try this for the money you can't you, you can't go wrong wild turkey rye 101 rye is like a great value for the money and it's got a nice complex flavor and it's great in manhattans and you know, everybody i think my introduction to wild turkey probably like most people our ages was that it was uh hunter s thompson's bourbon of choice yes. in uh fear and loathing in las vegas yes. right next right next to the ether and the uh salt shaker of cocaine yeah exactly uh, it's harder to get the salt shaker of cocaine but uh you got no, the, the wild turkey is available at most uh, uh, establishments. Or uh, ether, for that matter. Who's, who's well, getting ether. high on ether these yeah, days? Yeah. But, yeah. Anybody who's like got an anesthesiologist cousin or something like that, I suppose. You know how many people just love Hunter Thompson and want to be Hunter Thompson, and they're like 19 or 20 or something or just old enough to start drinking, and they're just like, yeah. And then they maybe go out and they smoke some weed and they drop acid and they think they're Hunter Thompson. I always want to be like, reread the opening paragraph Oh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. You need the salt shaker of Coke. You need the fucking ether. You need the briefcase of LSD. You need to be consistently, like, like walk the walk. Mm-hmm. You know? I'm not right. saying I would do that no, because no. I, I could like, never. There are only a few people who can, like, you know, pull that sort of thing off. Yeah. Like, we were talking about uh, uh, Iggy Pop and stuff like that, you know, can or do a lot, or, and, and, and perform yeah. at that level. Or the bottle of surfers who, like, we were talking about a bit ago, but, like, I remember reading that during their European tour, it was so unhinged, like they were so sleep deprived that the only way they could stay awake to do the gig was to drop acid. <laughs> so they would just like, like Gibby used to, Haynes would pour like LSD on his cornflakes and just eat for a pre-gig <laughs> pre, uh, meal. And then it's like, okay, we're tripping, so we won't fall asleep. Let's go do the gig. Right. Otherwise, they were just so exhausted. Uh-huh. And uh, I mean, that's 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 what a rock Sometimes band should you gotta, do. Yeah, you got to power through. You know, <laughs> it's like kids these days. I know. Now it's just like, oh, I broke a nail. Uh-huh. Yeah. Got to cancel. I can the write tour. a song about it. I'm yeah. sad the broken nail makes me. Uh, Taylor Swift. I got dumped again. And uh-huh. so, <laughs> yeah. sorry. Are you a Taylor Swift fan? I actually like Taylor Swift uh, as a person. I don't know anything about her music, but like Taylor Swift. No, I'm not. Taylor Swift, Most of my friend Chris, who was doing the last podcast, so Chris Sabella, as a callback to podcast too, is a big T-Swift fan. Uh, so, and, and you know, he wouldn't be the guy I would assume would be, but. Well, Chris is another guy who like a lot of my friends, so you get to a certain age as a music fan and you kind of decide, you know what? I don't give a fuck about being more punk rock than anybody else or being indie or cool. I'm going to like what I like. And if I like uh, Taylor Swift's song, then go fuck yourself. I like uh-huh. it. You're going to embrace the inner Taylor Swift lover? Sure. Sure. So. Well, Taylor Swift you did. You. She did actually like do a very nice thing for a friend of mine. So I have a, like, my friend's, this is sad. I'm going to bring it down. My friend's uh, kid died of, ca- of cancer a couple of years ago. It was really fucked up. And while she was sort of like struggling with it, 
you know, she was a big Taylor Swift fan. She's a little girl. So, like, we got the local radio station. We, the, somebody got the local radio station to contact Taylor Swift and say, like, would you call her and talk to her? This little girl's, like, not doing well. And she talked to her for, like, not just a minute, but, like, a fucking long time. Wow. And I'm like, so, okay, she's apparently really good to her fans. And, and so I kind of can like Taylor Swift for that. It doesn't mean I'm about to put, like, shake it off on my fucking Spotify <laughs> playlist. But, you know, I respect uh, the woman. You're protesting a bit too much there. But, uh, I would like that song if she didn't rap. <laughs> and when she raps, it's just like uh-huh. TT, you know, Tay-Tay, whatever your name is. Like, shut the fuck up. But, uh, there's some music that I just can't. Like, I understand people liking her, but nobody I know, and if Jeff likes this one, I'll be really surprised. So no one I know understands the appeal of Katy Perry. Oh, okay. I Thank love you. Katy Perry. Do you really? Yeah, it's my... Uh, Guilty pleasure. Like her music, or you think she's hot? She's obviously very attractive, but I like the music. Really? Yeah, I, I like the uh-huh. I like the beats. There's something uh, about her. Yeah, I can't I can't do it. Uh-huh, yeah. California girls. Well, it's mostly the the one of the ones like uh, the one that got away and uh, uh, like I kissed a girl. I think the the beats on that and hot and cold. I like that. Oh, that song, uh, I, I don't like it, but I will admit it's in my head if I hear it from uh, like, You just said it, it's yeah, already in my yeah. head. Yeah. Uh, like, Selena Gomez, I Love You yeah. Like a Love Song. That's yeah. got, like, a real Euro trash. You could, you could see them doing, like, a, a KMFDM remix of that in a goth club or something like that. Yeah, like, people, are, uh, people would, like, take some special K in the clubs and get really wasted <laughs> and listen to some remix of that. Yeah. But, oh, Hot and Cold. Yeah. Uh, I never heard that song until... Um, a couple years ago, the wife and I went to Mexico City for a nice vacation. And uh, like Mexican radio, you know, they have Mexican radio, but then they have yeah. Let's Worship American ra- music radio. But they kind of only have like 10 CDs that are like oh, American art. So you're going to hear uh-huh. the same. So I heard After about hot, three hours, it cycles again. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I heard Hot and Cold by Katy Perry every day at least three times. Because yeah. we would go on these like long That sounds like drives. a pretty awesome vacation. No, no, no. <laughs> and we also heard like the worst, the worst song you could possibly hear more than once in a lifetime, much less three times a day for two weeks straight, was uh, Four Non Blondes, What's Up? Oh, God, I hate that song. And they love it down there. Oh, yeah. Because like, uh-huh. when we would come out, people would be like, oh, Four Non Blondes, yeah. Uh-huh. Exciting, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And here I am listening to that. And well, it could have been worse. They could play Pets by Porno for Pyro or something like that. Because I think that's right up there as well. Yeah, that's pretty We'll make great pets. Yeah. Well, how are we going to follow that lyric? We'll make great pets. Let's just say it again. Make we'll pets. make, what make great pets. What rhymes with pets? It's like orange. You know, there's nothing that rhymes with it. Except orange. Uh-huh. Yeah. So let's just say it twice. Yeah. Uh, that's a bad song. Yeah. That was uh, Perry from Jane's Addiction, right? It was. It was. on his. You in know, his beginning of his like, downfall? Yeah, he wanted to break out from Jane's Addiction and do his own thing. Were you a Jane's Addiction fan in the 90s? Oh, I love Jane's Addiction. It uh, seemed like they'd be in your wheelhouse. Yeah, no, I really, when I went to college, you know, I, I didn't hear it. You know, I was obviously introduced to it in college. Uh, in college. Loved uh, 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 Nothing Shocking. Yeah, and that's then the Ritual. Big Nothing Shocking is my favorite. Yeah, it's Mountain Song. Mountain Song is by yeah. far my favorite. Jane's Addiction song, but I really liked him, and I saw him, saw him in Lollapalooza when it came out. But like before they did the Lollapalooza tour, they were touring oh, yeah. on their own, yeah. and we uh, actually drove to the, because I uh, drove to the Quad Cities. I saw them in a high school gymnasium in the Quad Cities, oh, man. and it was an amazing show. The place was packed. Um, 
I, I was like in the back and I was standing on a staircase because that was the only way that I could see. I uh, walked with crutches, so the bouncer let me s- sit up there, kept everybody else clear so I could see what was going on. And they had all the Christmas lights and you could see the people crowd surfing. Um, nice. And uh, it was an amazing show. Sounds bad. I saw him the first time at the Aragon Ballroom, which if anyone is a... Uh, knows uh, Chicago venues, the Aragon Ballroom just sucks. Like, the sound <laughs> in that place is horrible. Mm-hmm. No matter what, I've seen so many bands there, and it never sounds good. And Jane's Addiction is a band where they used a lot of echo and reverb on the voice, and so that just became this muddy wall of crap. But it still was like an entertaining show. Like, I had a good right. time. But it's the only time in my life where I, then I saw them again at Lollapalooza and Tinley Park at the outdoor thing. It's the only time a band sounded I can't sounded believe we didn't run into each other. Oh, well, yeah. We, should, we, were, we, were probably, we probably did. Maybe we did. Yeah, maybe I hit you. Maybe I, yeah, maybe I punched you. You might have. You, you got my ass kicked uh-huh. at that show. <laughs> like, well, but the point is, like, Jane sounded better at Tinley Park than they did at the Aragon Ballroom. No uh, band sounds better outdoors than indoors. No. <laughs> but, like, I remember, speaking of Mountain Song, that was the moment where I'm, I was in, uh, you know, the lawn of... Uh, that theater, which I don't even remember what it's called anymore, but the Tinley Park, uh, whatever yeah. it was back then, New World Music Theater back then, it was something else. Right. And uh, Jane's Addiction is the last band at Lollapalooza. They're like the tenth band or something like that. It's been a long day, and I'm like, it's it's not quite muddy, but it's a little bit like you know, kind of not great. And Mountain Song comes on, and I'm like, Mountain Song is my favorite Jane's Addiction song. I gotta go get in the pit and get rowdy. Were you in that giant pit over on the yeah, right stage? Yeah, for a right? little bit. Yeah. No, I was on like the left center side in the audience, in, in the lawn. And I remember looking over and it was like, it's like, you know, when, when you look at a weather map and you see like a cyclone. Yes. That's, and that's what it was like. There's all these people, but there was this cyclone. I mean, I was a kid back then, so it was, you know, it seemed like it was a hundred feet in diameter. Yeah. It might yeah. not have been that big, but it was massive. The number oh. of people that were mosh pitting to uh, Mountain Song. And here is me thinking, because you know, I've gotten into like the pits and stuff at like you know the Vic or something, where you only have a limited <laughs> amount of room. Right. The Metro, <laughs> and I can handle that. Uh-huh. So then I get into this sprawling mosh pit full of like you know people who are re- really serious and I'm just like this kind of little dude who's not very tough uh-huh. uh, who likes the punk music and I'm going against like the Doc Martin clad suspender wearing skinhead right I live uh-huh. for this shit dudes uh-huh. and uh, I didn't last very long in that pit and I just remember falling and opening my eyes when I hit the ground and seeing like this fucking just barrage of combat boots above me like I'm about to die now and one guy grabbed me by the feet and pulled me out and what ended up happening is the upper half of my body got trampled on but the lower half was good because so my dick was fine but my fucking face and hands were hurt very badly and uh, I just ended that whole show in the parking lot sticking my hand which was like three of my fingers were sprained uh, at least like into the like ice that we brought in the cooler for beer and just being like well I lost use of my hands but like that's the most punk rock story I can think of yeah Oh, uh, <laughs> Did you think that Lollapalooza was ever going to have a two or a three or a twenty or a fifty? I thought it was just going to be like like one thing. They did. Yeah, I don't. I mean, it was. It seemed like it, it, it went off so well the first the first season, as it were. <laughs> Lollapalooza was amazing, and then uh, we. Uh, I went to the second one as well because Ministry was playing, and uh, loved that Ministry show was amazing. And uh, although it was funny, I think when we saw it because it was again at Tinley. And I think they were fairly early in the day, so it was not light out. And I, I think I remember hearing that later in the, everybody realized how good Ministry was. Is that later in the season they were playing later at night? So oh, they, got, they moved them to, they got to like number two before yeah. Red Hot Chili Peppers. 
Rightfully so, because fuck yeah. Uh, so then, but then after that, I can't even remember what was in episode three, season well, three. Well, one of those, so. one of those tours, I regret not going to because, like, one of my favorite bands in the world ever was the Boredoms, and they were at one of those shows. And on like the second or third stage, they weren't on a main stage act. Okay. And I just started getting into them. One of my buddies like went to whatever year that was because he wanted to go see the Beastie Boys. And he said like he was walking around randomly to check out the second stage and the boredoms went up there. He'd never heard of them. And he said it was like the greatest concert moment of his life because back then they had two lead singers, two drummers, and a guitarist and a bassist. And it was this incredibly big band of Japanese lunatics. And they were playing basically like imagine cartoon music done from like a punk band. Like a Dadaist punk band. Right. And like the two singers would just like take flying kicks at each other and it was really violent. <laughs> and uh, they would scream at each other and beat each other up and share mics and scream into each other's mics. It was very, very like a very fun show to see. And I just really wish I would have gone to that. But uh-huh. after the first Lollapalooza, I kind of was like, fuck it, never going back. I was the original, fuck all you. <laughs> like stupid punk rock shit. Uh-huh. But it was a good show. I remember like, being very thinking like I am in this show that'll never happen again and this is so cool I just saw the Rollins band the Buttle Surfers and like Jane's Addiction and one day Nine Inch Nails was there and then for some reason Living Color uh-huh. Yeah. Well, it was, I mean, I always liked Living Color, you know, like they, they're, that album they came out with when you were in high school. Uh, uh, Vivid. Yeah, Cult of Personality. Yeah. That was a great song. My brother's favorite band for a while. He uh, yeah. That was the first CD he ever bought. He got a CD player, uh-huh. and he went to Chicago Ridge Mall, and he got a copy of Vivid by Living Color, and it was the only CD we owned. We had, like, LPs, cassettes, 8-tracks, and the one CD, and all we wanted to do was play with the CD player. Right. So, so I know every moment of that record. Yeah. yeah. It's a good album, you know. And it's very. There's a lot of social justice stuff going on in that album, sure. as I recall. So it's very interesting. Yeah, there's open letter to a landlord. That, exactly. About exactly. Evictions. Yeah. yeah, they do a Talking Heads cover on that. Memories can't wait, which is kind of neat. Okay, yeah. I didn't know that was a Talking Heads cover. It's a Talking Heads cover. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Chuck D and Flavor Flav have five <laughs> seconds on that record. Because I remember being really excited. But it's an important five seconds. <laughs> so. I remember being like really into Public Enemy then and being like, oh, I should check this band out because apparently Public Enemy's on the record. They're on it for like a second. I'm like, all right. That was disappointing. But yeah. Just one of those Flav being Flav for a minute. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, that's what you want. I mean, if you got Flav on, you want Flav being Flav. So. Yeah, well, Flav these days is. Mm-hmm. Uh, not quite the flavor flavor of no, like Fear of a Black no, Planet. He, he didn't la- yeah, he kind of went downhill when he went on to was he on one of those uh, uh, reality shows on MTV with, or something uh, like that. With, with Red Sonia. <laughs> I can't remember her name. Uh, Bridget Nielsen uh, as his yeah. love interest, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I guess Public Enemy played at Pitchfork a couple years ago. Yeah. And um, our old boss went to go see him mm-hmm. and he was telling me about the show and Anthony, he was one of our co-workers, was there too. So Anthony is like, you know, dude grew up in Inglewood. Uh, and he always said to me, like, how embarrassed he was of Flavor Flay because Anthony being, you know, the voice of, of, of uh, black people at, the, at our law firm said, Flavor Flav has sent black people back 20 years. <laughs> and he got in an argument with my boss because my boss was talking about how, I guess, Flav got on stage and started shilling for his show on VH1. Uh-huh. And everybody booed him. Yeah. And he's like, don't you call me boo. He's like, you know, this is just a black man making good. 
don't you want to support that? And, and my boss was like, he's right. And Anthony's like, no, he's not right. He's fucking <laughs> yeah. wrong. He's yeah. setting his back. It's uh-huh. embarrassing. He yeah. was in Public Enemy. Mm-hmm. Public fucking enemy. The yeah. most important band we've ever created. And here he is just now like being a VH1 shill for this crappy show. Strange Love or whatever the fuck he's on. Yeah. So, I guess the jury's still out on that one. <laughs> So, speaking of music, is there anything now that I should be listening to? Because I don't know what the fuck's going on in music anymore. Are you, like, more on the fucking... Are you got your finger on the pulse at all? Well, I do. Uh, I One band that I... Uh, and I listen to XM Radio on my car, and I listen to, like... Uh, alternative nation like uh, some of the, the newer college radio stations so I pick up on some things here or there one band I can't remember who turned me on to it but it's Ulrika Spacek so it's like Sissy Spacek's weirder sibling uh, seriously it's the, Sissy Spacek's sibling oh no no that's just the name of the band oh okay. it's Ulrika Spacek uh, and they're they're from I think they're from England, but uh, um, they are kind of a um, or maybe they're from Brooklyn or they played in Brooklyn before. But they they're a mixture of like Tame Impala and '90s shoegazer. Yeah. So it's uh, really kind of like psychedelic, distorted space out rock. And um, I really my, like it. I sounds like up it. my alley. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've been listening. Like, I, Tame Impala is a, a, a newer band that I like. I just know the one here. song that's on XRT every five minutes. Yeah. Elephant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're good. And the rest of them are like, you know, that, that same kind of just like real chill, kind of spacey vibe to it. Uh, yeah, I like it. I don't know. There's just not really, it's not like I'm anti whatever the fuck is new. I just don't have the patience I did in my youth when I was very excited about like yeah. keeping abreast of the trends in music. But now I'm sort of like, I just don't know what's going on. I just well, listen to everything I've been listening for years, and I'm that guy now. Yeah, well, you know, you're not, when you're younger, you know, you, you, the music you listen to means much more emotionally for you, and you're feeling all these emotions first time. And so they, I think that what you listen to in high school and college and right out of college is what you connect to yeah. on an emotion you really like. And you really like that, and you always listen to that. Um, yeah. But, like, I... So I, I, I try to listen to like the newer stuff. That, so I always like all of that, all the noise stuff. Uh, like we were talking before, uh, uh, like like you know Dead Can Dance, pulling that back in, listen to that again, and all the goth and the industrial stuff from uh, that I listened to in the '90s. I still love all of that. Uh, and sometimes you you know occasionally you'll find some new stuff that you like. I'm sort of. I, I wonder if like there's something that I used to listen to that I thought was awesome or great, and uh, now I would be like going back and revisiting it would be like, oh man, this is horrible. Like, because I, I know I'm the same thing. Like, you do form these connections to the music you listen to in your teens and your 20s, and even into your 30s, I'd say. And now I'm in my 40s, and I'm kind of like, ah, I'm just gonna listen to the shit I've always listened to. But I know there's some records I haven't pulled out in a while, and I'm wondering if I went back and listened to this, would I be not necessarily embarrassed, but like a little bit more like in a, in a place of maturity to say this is crap yeah I think I think all of us have some stuff like that what I found is that a lot of stuff that I didn't maybe care for so much when I was younger I like more now because it might be more mellow or something like right. that like the David Lynch stuff uh, the soundtrack for Twin Peaks I mean I always loved all the jazzy stuff yeah like Angelo Badalamente yeah and like the, the Julie Cruz stuff was like I would listen to it, but the stuff that she sang was just kind of like that was just kind of cheesy. I thought, yeah. but now like like when I listen to it, and then like I'm, I hear a lot of it more now. And the Dead Can Dance radio, they play a lot of Twin Peaks stuff, yeah. a lot of the Julie Cruz stuff. Like, 
yeah, this is pretty good. You know, I well, like it. I like it more now than I did then. Might be because I'm turning into a fuddy-duddy. But, maybe. Uh, well, it uh, helps if you don't pay attention to the lyrics. <laughs> Julie Cruz is hauntingly beautiful, but when you actually listen to the lyrics, they are maybe a little cheesy. Possibly. Yeah. So. I still don't like that one song that uh, James Hurley sings. That's, that's horrible. That's a horrible song. That's the song. worst thing I've ever and heard. That's, and that's maybe the one false note of the new Twin Peaks episode. I will warn you, he does sing that again at the Roadhouse. All right. No, but, that's, that's, uh, that, but I skipped that That's not really time. a spoiler. But you know, uh, but just be aware that they've resurrected that song, which yeah, is pretty pretty horrible. awful. Horrid song, yeah. Just you and uh, I, yeah. Just yeah, that's fucking terrible. Um, that's like yeah. one of the worst things I've ever. I'm not exaggerating. That's like up there with the four non blondes. It's that yeah, bad. It is. It's that I, level of uh, crap. But I know. cannot argue with you. <laughs> but I mean, there are some things like I started. Uh, when I started going to the gym, I'm like, all right, I need a gym playlist from Spotify. So, Katy Perry. Well, that's no, that's, yeah. that'll make me just hit the punching bag harder, maybe. But. No, like I started listening, like I'll put together some good 80s stuff I was into in high school that's aggressive and hardcore and punk and metal, and I haven't really listened to it in a while, and like it'll be like simultaneous nostalgia trip. And uh, so I was listening to the entire uh, My War record by Black Flag. Okay. And you know, that was like good one of record. my favorite records, and it still is great, but I realized the lyrics... They're a little bit easier to get through when you're a teen. Like when you hear Rollins scream, my war, you're one of them. You say you're my friend, but you're one of them. It's sort of like, it's kind of a dumb lyric. Yeah, it's a teen angst. It's you a know, teen angst. Like, uh, it yeah, makes more sense right. at 19 than it does at oh, 46. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Nevertheless, it's still right. Mm. Yeah, it's fun too. But it's like, I like to, you know, what I like, you know, like a lot of stuff I listen to, like, you know, like Nick Cave. Nick Cave is somebody that you enjoy more and more the older you get. Nick Cave does ages well. Yeah. Yeah. He ages Bad well. seeds. Yeah. Even Birthday Party. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That ages yeah. well as opposed to like Black. Well, Black Flag doesn't not age well, but like Rollins doesn't age well. Right. Yeah. Like Rollins right now, being a guy who has like a radio show and doesn't make music anymore is the best version of himself. Um, because I liked always like the music that he would bring to the to the scene, but never him. But, well, was well, that rumor? Isn't that 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 uh, uh, that one Tool song off of anime uh, was about uh, complaining about uh, Henry Rollins? Really? Yeah, it's like you had a lot to say, you got a lot of nothing to say. Yeah, I, I heard a rumor that he was that was uh, Maynard complaining about Henry Rollins. I I can see that being a thing. Uh-huh. Yeah, I can totally see them not really okay. like eulogy. Yeah. Tool's another band that I haven't listened to in a while. I should check. Well, it's gonna. Get, I hope it'd be great if they came out with a with another album. Were they have like three? Well, they have five, but like oh, the, okay. the last one came out. The last one came out in like two thousand and two or something like that. I was in law school. I don't think I've heard out. past the first three. Oh yeah, I think. Uh, uh, the last one that came out with Ten Thousand Days is fantastic. And Lateralis has a, a couple of good songs on it too. It's very okay. good as well. And uh, so yeah, I, I definitely recommend if you, any tool that you haven't listened to, All right. definitely check it out. Because it's not like there's a lot to get through. No, but, no. Do you know uh, my favorite tool? Did you see him on the first tour, Bottom? No, I've never seen. Uh, no, so, last time I saw, when I saw Tool, it was for uh, Ten Thousand Days at okay. uh, at Allstate Arena. We drove all the way out to goddamn Allstate Arena for that uh, show. It was a great show. It was definitely worth it. But. Well, my again, uh, my buddy Chris uh, in the '90s saw Tool on the first tour, and uh, like my favorite story about a, about a mosh pit. Since we were talking about that earlier, is he was in the pit like jumping around and getting wild, and like uh, for the encore, like the last show, uh, the last night song of the show, uh, Maynard says to everybody, "Okay, 
Uh, before you start jumping around again, I want everybody to turn to the guy next to you and give him a hug. And uh, everyone looks at each other, all the kids in the audience. He goes, no, I'm serious. We're not going to play until you guys hug. And he goes, come on, this is all about love. He goes, why do you think the album's called Bottom? And then like, my Chris was like, so, and Chris is like a, a six foot seven mountain of a human being. And he's like, and he was just like, I'm a sweaty mess. And I've been bashing into kids all day. He goes, but I turned to the guy next to me and I hugged that guy. And I, and he, and I the felt, shit out of him? he's like, I felt his cold, clammy, sweaty chest <laughs> against my cold, clammy, sweaty body. Uh-huh. And it was a lovely moment in a tool show. And then they played the song and then the pit started again. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I kind of always kind of had a thing that tool was pretty great for doing that. Uh-huh. Yeah. He's got an interesting sense of humor. And Pussifer, I really oh, like yeah. the, 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 Pussifer's first album, V is for Vagina, is a monument to, uh, like, you know, an artistic ideal. Uh, And the music is just really weird and very bass-heavy, very sexual, and uh, uh, it's a great album. It's weird because his later stuff after that, he kind of goes off on, like, you know, a kind of weird spiritual... 